Y'all gonna end up unemployed riding around in this pile of junk. You're welcome to walk the 16 miles. Oh, I'll sit in the back of the bus. Like you have identification on them? NASA, sir. NASA? I had no idea they hired There are quite a few women working in the space program. Least I can do is give y'all an escort. In 14 days, astronauts will be here for training. And we're shooting a human into space, and it's never been done before. With the launch of the Russian spy satellite, the president is demanding an immediate response. Running from the man. Space test group needs a computer. Catherine's the gal for that. She can handle any numbers you put in front of her. You and I are different from each other. This is about inventing the math. Because without it, we're not going anywhere. Yes, sir. That's John Glenn. What do you guys do for NASA? Calculate your launch and landing site. How could you be ugly these white men? It's equal rights. I have the right to see fine in every color. If you were a white male, would you wish to be an engineer? I wouldn't have to. I'd already be one. Yes, it's an uphill battle. Get it, girl. But yes, I don't know if I can keep up in that room. Just make that pencil move as fast as your mind does. You've been gone for 300 hours. It felt like it to me, too. Colonel Glenn launches in a few weeks. We don't have the math figured out yet. There is no protocol for women attending. There's no protocol for a man circling the Earth either, sir. Every time we have a chance to get ahead, they move the finish line. I need to be in that room hearing what you hear. Within these walls, who makes the rules? You, sir, you are the boss. You just have to act like one, sir. We all get there together, we don't get there at all. In the fight of our lives, people. My gals are ready. We can do the work. More than 50 million Americans watching. I got a warning light. Go find Catherine. Colonel Glenn. There's a real fireball outside. It's getting a little hot in here. Welcome to Life Church. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor. It's great to have you here this weekend. Can we welcome our online Brookfield, Appleton campus, Germantown campus, Milwaukee campus? All the campuses, wherever you're connecting with us from and through, we're glad that you're with us. And this weekend, we are looking at this movie, Hidden Figures, as kind of uh, uh, kind of the movie for the weekend. And uh, as the uh, as the, that clip kind of shows at the very beginning. There are three um, African-American women and working for NASA in the 1960s. And so it's Catherine Gable Johnson, who is kind of at the forefront uh, of this, and then um, Dorothy Vaughn and Mary Jackson. And they, they work, they're, they're computation and technology experts uh, with basically mathematicians off, off, off the charts. And uh, they work for NASA's R&D department uh, at... Um, in Langley Memorial Aeronautical Laboratory in Hampton, Virginia. And so they're the brains behind getting Colonel John Glenn into space and into orbit. And so these ladies, though, are doing this at a time where they're really up against um, some pretty big surmountable odds. I mean, it's the 60s. Um, there's extreme uh, segregation that's happening in the country. There is racism uh, and then also pronounced sexism. So all these things are happening. And uh, the movie really focuses on Catherine Gable Johnson's character, and she, she's extremely gifted in the area of analytical geometry. And so, again, I, that's as good as I know about that, right? I, I, can't, I can barely say it. And, uh, and then, but she finds favor in the presence 
of her boss, who was the chief there at the, the NASA division, uh, Al Harrison, who's played by Kevin Costner. And um, Harrison's fondness of Catherine's gifting and, and skill set trumps her, the fact that she's a woman in a very much a man's world in the 60s, that she is, is African-American in a very white, segregated America at that time. He sees her as a person, and then also the purpose and the value that she has and that she brings in order to, quite frankly, become essential of getting uh, Colonel Glenn into orbit. And so with that in mind, I want to kind of go into this clip that's going to set us up this weekend for what I want to talk about. And um, I think it's going to be something that we all can identify with, and maybe it might be exactly the address that you're living at. So why don't you check this out? The IBM's been spot on up to this point, John, but we'll run it again, see what it comes up with. I'm going to be honest with you, Al. When I fly, I fly the machine. And right now, it seems like this machine's flying me. We're on the same page, John. Our guys are on it. Let's get the girl to check the numbers. The girl? Yes, sir. You mean Catherine? Yes, sir. The smart one. I mean, she says they're good. I'm ready to go. All right, we'll get into it. Roger. Sam, go find Catherine Goble. If she needs to verify Glenn's go, no go, we're staying on the ground. Yes, sir. Catherine Goble. It's Catherine Johnson now. They need you to verify these coordinates. All right, give us some space so to work. A truly historic day for America. The country has waited for several months through many failed unmanned Atlas rocket tests and ten scheduled manned attempts, which were canceled for various mechanical or system complications. Even when all the final tests and checks are being conducted, John Glenn is ready to board the French ship 7. But today, we remain truly optimistic, and it's a go day in all regards. The capsule is ready, the rocket itself is A-OK, -okay, and the weather here at Cape Canaveral is Anything from Langley? Not yet. We are being told that the mission control at NASA is conducting a final check of the launch and recovery coordinates, including the go-no-go calculations, so crucial to a safe and successful launch and recovery. After years of waiting and months of delays, Colonel Glenn is finally ready for that space flight that we've been waiting for with so much anticipation. could indicate a hesitancy on NASA's behalf, but let us say without reservation that the safety of Colonel John Glenn is paramount to the mission and to the nation's itself. No, sir, we're still a go. Yes, sir. That's it. What the devil are you doing? Are you taking a break?
you the time. Bad 14. Catherine. Come on. Sir, we've got Pad 14 on the box. All right, let me in. So in that clip, you see that the doors, not just figuratively, but literally open uh, for Catherine and, and, her, and her character, actually, the, it's a real person, um, to open up an entire new different opportunity, an entire different level of, of, of access. The, this is very interesting because, again, these three ladies represent a, a very unique period of time of history in our country and, and overcoming uh, some, some, some very difficult challenges. But they feel pretty much kind of forgotten and overlooked, although they are, as you see, they are very much integral into what's got to happen. Uh, they're, 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 they're very important. And uh, in Scripture, there is a, a person in Scripture, a lady, actually, that I want to look at in these next few minutes, that would be what I would call a hidden figure in Scripture. Someone who, quite frankly, was very much an outsider. Someone who really was not... Uh, didn't sign up for what happened in her life, uh, very much felt overlooked, uh, very much felt very much probably like I really got handed just a bad deal and tried to play the hand that life dealt her really, really, really as best she could. And, um, but she wasn't forgotten, even though everything in her circumstance and everything around her looked like she was this hidden figure, God had a different plan. This lady's name is, is Ruth. So if you have your Bibles, there's actually a book in the Old Testament, the, the book of Ruth. I want you to turn there. And Ruth, um, she was, she's, her story is in her journey goes from someone who's unnoticed to someone who's unforgettable. She, um, she kind of walks through this, this, does anybody see me? God, do you even know who I am? Does anybody know me? To one of the most prolific females in the Bible. And I think the connection with this, just to kind of short circuit and kind of almost kind of get to the punch, is, uh, is this, is that every one of us from points and times in our life have felt like a hidden figure. Maybe that's where you feel today. Like you're there and you're a part and you may be very much important to everything that's going on, and, but you just feel almost invisible. Maybe, maybe it's a deal of, of you feel underappreciated or undervalued. Maybe there's situations and circumstances that have taken place or transpired in your life that, quite frankly, aren't fair, uh, aren't um, you have no control on and you control over, and you wonder, does anybody see you? Does anybody care? Does God even is He even really paying attention to this? And and I hope that you'll see as we walk through this um, Luke chapter two, excuse me, Ruth chapter two, that we will see that God remembers 
hidden figures and what I would call hidden moments and does some amazing things. So the first thing I want you to, you, to, you to see about God in these hidden moments is that God knows exactly where you are. God knows where you are. God knows exactly where you are. Ruth chapter 2, verse 1. Now Naomi, who had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of, of Amalek, and whose name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain uh, that's been left behind by anyone in whose eyes I find favor. And Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. And as it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz. Let me give you a little bit of backstory. You can read Ruth uh, chapter 1 to get some of this. But uh, Naomi is the mom uh, who her and her husband have two boys. And those two boys marry two girls. So one is, is Ruth and, and, and the other is, um, is, is a lady named Orpah. And, um, and so, but Naomi, they're living in the land of, of Moab at this time, which you can see on a clear day from Bethlehem. Uh, you can see, see, see Moab from there. And but, so they've left because of a famine that was going throughout Jerusalem and throughout, throughout Bethlehem, which is where, really where they were from was Bethlehem. That's, back, that's where they're going back to in this particular passage. And so they've gone to Moab basically to find work. And in the transition of all of that, uh, her two sons married two Moabite women, Orpah and Ruth. And, uh, and so, but as things happen, she loses her husband and then she loses her two sons. So it's three women, the mother-in-law and the two daughter-in-laws. I don't know what the relationship is with your mother-in-law. We don't want to even go there. But, uh, you know, it's kind of a, a bit of a, these are, you know, they're just kind of there because of circumstance. Because first of all, Naomi is, she's a Jew. She's an Israelite. So she's living in the land of Moab. Her two daughter-in-laws aren't, aren't Jewish. They're, they're not from Bethlehem. They're from Moab. And so, so that's their people, their area. And, and they're all, but they're all there. And so Naomi basically says, I'm going to go back to my people and see what I can, can, can kind of muster up for my life. And you have to understand in this day and time, there's no social welfare. There's no social services. There's no, there's no you know, life insurance policies or whole life or term life. There's none of that. So the life insurance policy that you had was your kids. And if you had sons, they could work. But, but if you had girls, their only hope is that they would get married and that your, their new husband may have a certain amount of pity on you. Say, so, you know, Naomi is very much out there on her own. Uh, and she's going to go back to Bethlehem. She's going to go back to Israel. And she's going to go back. Hopefully, she's going to find some favor that someone will help her and, and will be able, as a widow, and will have kindness and compassion on her. Because the law... The Levitical law, the law of Moses, gave right for that to happen, that people were supposed to do that. But just because people are supposed to doesn't mean that they are. So these two daughter-in-laws are about to go with her. And so she looks at them and says, look, I'm an old woman and my life is over. And I, I, I'm, I can't provide for you. I'm barely going to be able to provide for myself. So why don't you just stay here? This is your land, your people, and remarry. You're young. You have no children. You have no, none. And we're all, we're all kind of in this bad situation, but let's just kind of cut our losses and go. Orpah says, okay, see ya, right? She's gone. Ruth says, no. Naomi, 
wherever you go, I God go. Where, whatever, whoever is your God is my God. Remember, she's not an Israelite. She's not been raised with the understanding of who God is the way Naomi was. So Naomi and Ruth make this journey back to Israel, uh, back to this area in Bethlehem. And uh, matter of fact, if you go uh, with me in, in February, excuse me, in January on this trip to Israel, you'll see some of these fields where uh, if it's a clear day, you'll be able to see the, you'll be able to see the, the land of Moab uh, from the Bible days. You'll be able to see that. And then you'll be able to see these fields and all this kind of a deal where, where some of this, we don't know exactly where, but it took place. It'd be like going, you know, north out here in Washington County, out in Richfield somewhere, uh, south of Jackson, north of Germantown. It goes somewhere in one of these farm fields, this happened. We don't know exactly which one, but it's not a huge geographical piece of, of land. So they make their way back. And when they make their way back, uh, uh, basically Ruth says to her, her mother-in-law, hey, I'm, I'm, as you try to go find favor with your people, I'm going to go try to get some grain so that we can eat, so we can be taken care of. Again, there's no social welfare system. There, there, there's nothing there. And so when she, when, when she goes back and when she goes, she encounters Boaz, who is a, a relative of Naomi's husband. So he is, he's all, they're all the, the, the same kind of, they got the same last name in essence. And Boaz means in him is strength. Boaz is a man of good standing. He, he, he's a man of great wealth. He owns many of these fields uh, where they are uh, these, uh, probably these grain fields for wheat. And so, so what, what Ruth does is she goes and she gleans the fields. And according to the Old Testament, what was allowed is, is that everything that they said is you glean your fields, you're harvesting your fields, that you don't cut the corners. So whatever's left on the corners will be left for the poor, for the widow, and for the foreigner which would have been Ruth and Naomi in all three cases. And, and whatever grain lays on the ground, don't, don't, don't pick everything up. Leave something for the poor that they can come and pick up what's left because God has blessed you in turn, be a blessing to someone else. And so it was a way, of, it was kind of their way of giving back. And so, so this is exactly what, what Ruth does. She, 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 despite her heartache, despite the pain, she's willing to work. She doesn't find herself a victim of circumstance. Um, she, she doesn't really even know who God is. She's, she's going to learn, but she doesn't know. Because again, in the previous chapter, she looks at her mother-in-law, Naomi, and says, whoever your God is, that'll be my God. Your people will be my people, and I'm going to go with you, and I'm not going to leave you behind, Naomi. You're, you're not a liability. I, I, we're going to figure this out. And so these two very strong women, this mother-in-law and this daughter-in-law, who are both now widowed, kind of make their way back. And so she's going back to this field, and according to the Levitical law, to the law of Moses, she's able to kind of go through and, and, and pick up, and, and she's there with the foreigner, she's there with the widow, she's there with the poor, and she's gleaning from this field, and she happens to be in the field of Boaz, who is the family member that Ruth needs to, excuse me, that Naomi needs to connect with, that her husband was akin to, was related to. I just want to stop here and say this. You may not know the land that you're going to. You may not know the field that you're plowing in or that you're gleaning from. You may not know anything. All you may know is that this is where you are right now, but God knows where you are. You may be in, in, in a place that feels completely foreign to you and completely different to you. And you may have a life right now that worked out in a particular way that you didn't anticipate, but God knows where you are. And it didn't catch him by surprise. 
And sometimes we can feel like we're very much that, that hidden figure, that like Katherine Johnson, that, 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 that you're just kind of just trying to do life and trying to get through. And, and you don't even understand the, 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 the place in history of, of, of the gifting and the talents and the abilities. And yeah, you're done wrong and you're marginalized. And maybe, there, maybe there's ground for, 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 for this person didn't treat me right and, and, and I should have access to and th this should be different. But, but you have a choice. You can either be a victim or, or you can choose it. No, you're going to lean into whatever the situation is and just trust that God is going to work these things out, even though you may not understand everything and get everything. And, and, but you're just going to just trust that that's what's going to happen, that, that, that truly that God knows where you are. And I think that's something that's really important, that in life we can say at church on the weekend, hey, I know that God knows where I'm at and God's got it all under control. But on Monday morning, that's what we fret about. Or Tuesday afternoon, that's what we're wrenching our hands about. Or Thursday, that's what we're trying to, trying to play through everything. Can I just tell you that the Bible says that promotion doesn't come from the east or the west or from heaven above. And if you live life for the audience of one, if this, that, that's how you do it. If this thing only works on the weekends, then what are we doing here? You are wasting your time and wasting your energy and wasting your, wasting your, and I'm wasting my breath. But the reality is, is that this thing called the Bible and this relationship with Jesus Christ through God the Father, this relationship actually works. God really does know where you are. And, and he really does work through people, even people that don't even understand. And, and through situations and circumstances that don't always make sense. And even what the enemy would try to use to harm or to destroy you, God turns around and ultimately uses it for your good if you'll just trust him. But just know he knows where you are. He knows exactly where you are. He knows exactly what's going on. And the thing is, are you going to trust him? Because he's seldom early. Have you figured that out yet? He's, he's never late and he's always right on time. He, he's just got this timing. And so you find yourself going, God, does God even know what's happening? Does God even know how I feel? Does God even know what's going on? And maybe the situation, the circumstance you caused, maybe you had nothing to do with it. I just want to remind you, just like he did with Ruth, even though she wasn't, she wasn't an Israelite by birth, and even though she wasn't, she wasn't raised in the church knowing everything. God's hand was on her life. Second thing I want you to catch here is that God sees your sacrifice. Wherever you're toiling, wherever you're working, whatever's going on, whether you're doing a mountain of dishes and a mountain of laundry or whether you're working three jobs or whether you're trying to get through school or whether you're, what, what, God sees the sacrifice. Look at verse 4 of chapter 2. Just then Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. So he pulls up in his F-250, right? You know, so he's, he owns all these fields. So he's his farmer and he pulls up. And, 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 and they said, the Lord bless you. And then Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, who does this young woman belong to? Now again, back in this day and age, if you were a female and you were married, then you were someone, you, you were given to someone. You were this man's wife, and so you were, you know, with, connected to him. So don't, don't look at that too terribly, but I mean, that, that's kind of the, was the mindset. But if you weren't, then you didn't really belong to anybody, but you belonged to somebody. So you still belong to your father's house or to your husband's house. That's how it was. And the overseer replied, she's a Moabite. Again, this is the second time that they've already made, made mention of this. So she's not an Israelite, Boaz. She's not from around here. She's from Moab, which on a clear day, you'd be able to see the mountain of Moab from there. 
And she came back from Moab with Naomi, which he would have known Naomi because they're related. And she said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. So Boaz's combines are running through the fields, right? He's got those big John Deere combines going. Are you with me? Not really, but you work, you're working with me, right? He's got that going on. And so whatever's left on the ground, she's picking up. And she came into the field, and she's remained here from morning until now, except for a short rest in the shelter. She's a hard worker. Ruth was grateful for the opportunity that she had to work. Again, she wasn't sitting at home crying about her husband that had died. And it wasn't bloom, despair, and agony on me, deep, dark depression, excessive misery. Oh, if it wasn't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. You know that song? No? Okay. Some of you do. She is just grateful. If I could just have an opportunity. I, I, I'm not asking for a handout. I, I, don't, I, just, I don't need you to prop a door open. I, just give me a chance. Kind of like Katherine Johnson. I just need a chance to do my job. I just need to do a chance to, to if you'll just give me an opportunity. I, I don't care where you put me. I don't care what's going on. I don't initially agree, but I just need a chance. She's, she's grateful for the opportunity to work. And why I'm saying this is that gratefulness typically and usually is a gateway to God's favor. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. When you are grateful and you live with a sense of gratuity and not with entitlement in life, God begins to see that, and he opens up the windows of heaven. He pours out blessing upon you so great you have room to contain it. If you have a tendency to gripe and miserly look at what you have compared to what somebody else is, and you're always playing the comparison game, typically you always come up short. But people that go, thank you, God, for this opportunity to work. Thank you for the job that I have. Thank you for the three jobs that I have. Thank you, Lord, that I just got a, a dollar-hour pay raise. Thank you, Lord, that in, the, in this last downturn, I, I didn't lose my job. Or if I did, then, God, you provided for me a job. Just thank you, Lord, that I have the chance to be able to. Thank you, Lord, that I have. Gratefulness is the gateway to God's favor. Because in times of adversity and struggle and hardship, staying in the place of simply finding joy and having an opportunity is key and critical. When you are going through a hardship, when you feel like you are, are a hidden figure, you feel like you are sacrificing and you are toiling and nobody cares, nobody pays attention, and everybody else is taking credit for your work. But God sees. God sees. You may not like the career you're in, but be grateful for the opportunity that you have to make a living. You may, you may not like everything about yourself, but be grateful that you've got breath in your lungs to breathe and get up another day. You, you may not have a perfect family, but be grateful for, for the relationships that you do have and what God has given you. Because when we stop whining, we begin to worship and heaven begins to open up. And I'm just telling you, we all could have a reason to sit around and have a pity party or, or, or could tell our stories or, or whatever. And, and we could all go, wow, man, I can't believe that happened to you. And wow, I can't believe that. And, 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 we, we could, and, and if anybody does, Ruth does. But instead of that, she goes, nope, I'm just, just give me an opportunity. I just, I just, I, I'm going to do the right thing, and, and, and I just need an opportunity. And when you watch, if you see this movie, Hidden Figures, what Kevin Costner's character, Al Harrison, the head of NASA's program there, he, he's not concerned with the prejudices of the day. He, he doesn't care that, that Catherine is a, a foreigner, if you would, that, 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 he's, that she's a woman in very much a male-dominated world, that she's African-American in a very white world. But he just wants to know, can she get the job done? And because she can get the job done, he pushes aside every other bit of what was happening in, in the world uh, at that time and place and begins to break down the barriers to go, no, 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 no. We're all just people. 
and we're all going to do this project. And this, it's all of our job to get this guy into orbit, to get John Glenn into space. The last thing I want you to see here in Ruth is that God desires to intervene in your troubles. God does really care. He, des- he desires to intervene in your troubles. So look at verse 8. Boaz says to Ruth, my daughter... Notice he didn't call her a foreigner. And she's been already characterized in that way. And when he's inquired of her, they've been quick to say she's not from here. She's not from around here. Listen to me. Don't, don't go and glean in another field. Don't go away from here. But why don't you stay here with the women who work for me? So he's welcoming her into his fields. And, and, and watch where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. So don't just even just take the corners that would have been given for the widows and the foreigners and the the poor. No, no, just go right behind the combines. Go right behind the people that are working for me. Why? Because there's easier and more fruit there. There's more grain. It's the best. It's the heart of the field. And and, and I've told the men not to lay a hand on you, not to bother you, not to marginalize you, not to, but wherever you're thirsty, then you'll get a drink from the water jars at the men field. Again, in this day and time, the women would have done the filling of the water, but no, 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 no. He said, no, there'll be men that will take care of that because they all work for me. You, you go over there. I, don't, 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 don't be marginalized. I'll, I'll take care of this. See, Ruth was content with the leftovers, but she's given access she, she's totally fine with, I'll just take the corners and I'll just take the leftovers. But what happens is God begins to see her and through Boaz, who we know theologians call Boaz the kinsman redeemer. He's the one that will redeem Naomi. He will redeem Ruth. He will restore them. We'll find out in a minute. And in doing so, he's a foreshadowing of who Jesus is. He's what, what theologians would call a Christophany or Christ type in the Old Testament. It's exactly what God does for us. We're from Moab. We're not from around here. We're lost and undone and have no need and and, and have no excuse because of situations and circumstances because we were born into sin. And we come before God and say, if you'll just let me just get a little something here and just, I'm not even expecting anything great. If I could just kind of be on the margins, if I could just kind of be on the edges, if I could just kind of, And Jesus comes in and says, no, 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 no. You're no longer a foreigner. You're no longer an outsider. You're no longer, you're, you're here. And tell you what, why don't you be with me? And I'll protect you. And I'll see that you're taken care of. And I'll see that you're provided for. Matter of fact, when you need nourishment and when you need refreshment, it'll be provided for you. You don't have to even go looking for it anymore. And, and that's exactly what Boaz does. R- Ruth refers to herself as a foreigner, but Boaz refers to her as my daughter. Thus, it goes from being an outsider to family. He, he grants her permission to continue to glean in his field and actually ask her not to go anywhere else. Why? Because he can protect her there. He can, he, can, he, he, can, he, he can provide for her there. As you read in chapters 3 and chapters 4, which I'd encourage you, especially if you want a great love story, you'll find out that he is falling in love with her. And he is attracted to her in a way that, that, that he is trying to be close to her because he sees something in her. What, what is that? Well, again, 
If you truly believe that promotion doesn't come from the east and the west, but it comes from heaven above, it's God. Allowing the things that the enemy would try to use to destroy you. So the, the loss of her husband, the loss of her father-in-law, sticking with her mother-in-law, going to a land and to a people that she didn't know of, that she was not familiar with, with no assistance, with no social welfare, with no money, with no anything, going back trying to help to make sure that her mother-in-law doesn't die because it's the right thing to do. And in the middle of that, this man sees her strength and her character, probably her beauty as well. He goes on in verse 9 to provide personal protection and then provision. And in Ruth's attempt at survival, she finds favor that will lead to redemption of her loss and her pain. Because if you read in chapter 4, you'll find out that Ruth will marry Boaz. And that's got to be approved by the council, by the elders of the city. Because women were viewed as property, therefore whatever Naomi's family had to her husband, she's coming back to try to claim. Boaz is the only one because there has to be a man that stands up for that because a woman could not own property in that day and time. And Boaz says, I will stand up and I will bring Naomi into my house. But when Naomi comes into my house, so does her daughter-in-law. And according to the law, her daughter-in-law cannot be left unmarried. Therefore, I must marry her. Is that correct, gentlemen? And they say, yes. He's a smart guy. And he allows the, the governance and the rules and the regulations of that day to, to come around so that he not only takes care of them and restores to Naomi all that's rightfully hers, but he will bring in Ruth as his wife. And Ruth, this outsider, this Moabite, not from the nation of Israel, will marry Boaz and she'll give him a son, the firstborn. His name is Obed. And Obed will grow up like his father and be a man of power and influence. And he'll have a son, and his name will be Jesse. And Jesse will follow in the same shepherding, agricultural family heritage of work that his father Obed did, that his father Boaz did. And Jesse will give birth to a son. His name will be David, and he'll be the king of Israel. And every time I hear that story, it makes me go, wow. How God can take something that's so horrible and so terrible as the loss of Ruth's husband and Naomi's husband. And in destitution, they come back. And as a foreigner, she goes and she humbles herself, not looking for anything. But God sees her and restores her and doesn't just restore her, but he makes her the great grandmother of King David. And when you read the genealogy that Matthew will record in Matthew's gospel chapter one, she's there because that's how God works. The world looks at us as a hidden figure. The world looks at us as someone that's just lost. The, the world writes us off. We sometimes say, <laughs> you don't understand, man, I'm damaged goods and you don't understand I'm not from here and I'm not connected and, 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 and you no, know, this is, if I could just, just take care of this and I don't wanna cause any trouble, but God has greater plans. Because God sees you right where you are. And some of everybody in this room today, you just need to know God sees you right where you are. He knows right where you are. He knows how you feel. He knows your inadequacies. He knows your insecurities. He knows everything. And even the things that the enemy has tried to use to destroy your life, he will turn around and use for your good if you will but trust him. Don't become a victim. But just simply trust him. He sees the sacrifice. He sees the work. 
He hears the prayers, even though they feel like sometimes they're bouncing off the ceiling, he hears them. And he, just like he is with Ruth, is intervening in your troubles and in your situation. Not just to help you, but to redeem you. Not just to get you along, but to restore you. That's how God works. The world we live in, it's crazy. It's always been crazy. It's unfair. It's always been unfair. Justice and fairness entered, fairness entered in the garden. But God sees where you are. And he hears your prayers. And he sees your attempts. And he sees your work. And you're not working for a boss over here or to gain the favor of someone over here. You're not trying to even get the attention of Boaz. God will handle all that. But he sees you. And if you'll let him, he'll intervene right where you are. So I want to pray for you today. Whether you're watching online, whether you're at one of the campuses, I just want to take a moment and I just want to pray for you. You know if that's you. You know if there's something inside of you that just kind of like, that's me, man. That's how I feel. I just feel like a hidden figure. I feel like I'm in the room, but nobody knows. I feel like I'm here and I wonder if God even gets it. I've prayed, but it just doesn't seem like everything is working out and and it just seems like it goes from bad to worse and I just, I feel so displaced. I'm just, I'm scraping to get by. Maybe that's physically, maybe it's financially, maybe it's emotionally, maybe it's all the above. I don't know, but God does. And I'm just gonna ask that you would just simply release that to him. Just simply Palms up. Here it is, God. I'm going to give you this situation. I'm going to give you this circumstance. And I'm going to ask you to step in and come in. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me as we pray? Father, I just pray right now for every single person that's here. Lord, you know the struggles. You know the frustrations. God, you know the hurts and the pains. And we deal with. Especially as I read this this story of, of Ruth. Think about single moms and women that are just struggling. People that are struggling with issues and people are are just dealing with stuff, men and women. And wonder, are you there? God, I pray today that you would just show up in their life. Wondering if you care. God, I pray you send someone their way. Uh, be it someone at church today or, 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 or someone across their path. Maybe it's a call or a text or an email a letter in the mail, whatever, but just something that would just encourage them to let them know that you know exactly where they are. I pray, give them favor with with the Boaz in their life. Give them favor with with whoever has the ability to to kind of turn on that spigot. God, we know that that doesn't happen without you, but but Lord, there's people in our lives, there are people that we work for, our bosses and people that are around us that, that have the ability to help open doors and help. I just pray, oh God, that you would just give us favor. God, that we would keep a grateful attitude even in the spite of circumstances and that we would, we would choose, Lord, just to trust in you. We would choose to have a right attitude. We would choose not to be a victim. And in the middle of all that, God, that you would just simply give us favor and open doors. I pray, Lord, for those that are just struggling, God, even today, you give them peace that passes understanding and, and joy, God, that's undescribable. But I pray also, God, for just opportunity, just a glimmer of hope. God, I pray hope and fulfillment of that hope. Maybe they're not even looking for that, but I just pray that. I just pray that, God, that you would bless them, 
that they wouldn't feel that they're just behind the scenes, but God, that you would, and we just saw in that clip, God, that in a spiritual sense, in a physical sense, in a financial sense, in a, and that the door would be open and that access would be granted and that favor would be given. God, I just pray. We choose, palms up, God, to go where you want us to go, to do what you want us to do, to say what you want us to say, to be what you want us to be. We live life for the audience of one. That's you, Jesus. And we know that promotion isn't from man. It's not even from a Boaz that you may bring into our life, but it is from you. And I just pray, help us to look to you today and always and show up in a way that only you can in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.